Okay, so welcome to the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, Vijar Nathan, and with us today is uh, acting co-host, Logan Provoznik. Welcome, Logan. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. So our featured guest is Eli Moss. They are a multimodal creative practitioner, curator, cultural scholar, and educator. Their work of building speculative solidarities employs experimentation across analog and digital media to consider intersections between persons, forms of language, and systems directed towards seeding resilient open source strategies for ecological and social change. They are the founder and creative director of the operating system and liminal lab and adjunct professor at Pratt Institute. Their show, Move Semantics, Rules of Unfolding, co-created co -created with Jeff Casper, opens at EFA Project Space in March 2021. Welcome, Eli. Good morning. Good morning, Radio Free Brooklyn. Good morning, good morning. So Here why don't we start the conversation off about a little bit about create, uh, speculative solidarities. If you'd explain to us like what that is and how that works into your work. Sure. Um, I think, you know, the last year or so, all of us kind of in our own little worlds, which I've been thinking sort of almost as like a transformational uh, goo state, similar to sort of Caterpillar um, dissolving itself. I've really had the opportunity to sort of verbalize and articulate like what it is that I do in the world. And the, and the term speculative solidarities kind of came uh, to me in the spring of in the spring of 2020 when I actually started making a series of videos um, for just you know just for the public but in a way I was also just kind of articulating what was going on with myself which had to do with kind of helping people um, articulate and um, process uh, the things that they were experiencing in the world, which, you know, depending on what your background has been, we don't always necessarily have the language for. Our institutions, you know, like, create um, conditioning in us that uh, that recommends and, and encourages us to reproduce the forms that we're in as opposed to work against them, right? And depending on your background, you don't necessarily have alternative language for what's happening with you. It's actually quite random, right? For instance, like, do you know what's going on with your body? The number of people who've actually had the experience to understand somatically or with their nervous system or with their mental health, what's happening to their body is quite few. It's quite random. It isn't something that's actually built into our systems. We're actually just built to reproduce those systems. So, um, so that's a lot of what I do in my own teaching. And I was really called to do this publicly to kind of like make these messages, which I sort of often, you know, teach in the classroom uh, or in facilitation or through the various performance work or whatever that I do uh, with these public videos. But I, I use that, um, I've started to use speculative solidarities kind of as an umbrella term because it really does, um, it really does include and refer to like all of the work that I've done um, insofar as like what I might be doing in an installation is sort of building speculative structures, right? Like I did a big show in the fall of 2019, which had a sort of like 
speculative seed library, right? So like, how are we going to need in protect in potential eco futures? Like, how would we need to save seeds and information about sort of plant allies in order to be able to work with those allies in an eco future when when things have died, right? And so also, you know, the operating system and liminal lab, which I run, is again, a sort of speculative solidarity, because what it is, is an infrastructure that asks us to consider different ways of utilizing and moving resources and flows, right? So all of these things are sort of experimental infrastructures, um, and they come out in different forms, and they are speculative, and they are solidarities, right? So speculative meaning future, future-facing, um, solidarities meaning like ways in which to ally ourselves with each other, the planet, and non-human allies. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, but also one thing I kind of keyed on or one thing that kind of came to my attention was the idea that we don't really know what's going on in our bodies, what's going on in our minds, how no contextual understanding of these kind of systems in which we're reproducing. And that makes me think a little bit of the movement towards undermining expertise, like how people uh, don't trust going to other people about what's going on inside of them and they kind of have undermined the idea that they, they, they kind of want to be empowered to feel like they know what's going on in their own head and mind. But to what extent can we know? And to what extent do we need to? Or what extent, you know what I mean? There's like a balancing act between like going to experts and being like going to doctors and being like, tell me how to solve my, my health condition. And also uh, the balance between like being feeling empowered to know and to understand your own system that you're working within. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm actually so glad that you asked this because also it's like a secret like thing um, that's underlying the issue between the sort of the left and the right right now in the yeah. in the United States where sort of like the populist right has sort of latched on to skepticism around expertise, um, which honestly traditionally has been. Uh, you know, central to an anarchist platform, to a left platform, yeah, right? And so you've got exactly, this really yeah. weird moment happening where the left is sort of aligning itself with more of a more of an absolute truth. You know, and Timothy Morton, who's a contemporary philosopher who I, you know, who has, everyone is problematic, but who has some very smart things to say, says in a book, um, what is it? It's humankind, uh, which is like allyship with non-human systems or something. I can't remember the, the exact title, but he talks in that book about sort of like the left doing something dangerous by sort of taking a hard truth line because, you know, uh, and he's, he talks about, you know, sort of like uh, Stephen Colbert's like truthiness, you know, truthiness, like it's really complicated. Yes, you know, medicines come out all the time that five years later are recalled and there's major lawsuits, right? Like, yeah. people are misdiagnosed all the time. People die from misdiagnosis and mistreatment all the time. This is not something we should not be skeptical about. So, like, towing a hard line on that for the left is a huge mistake, right? But, like, what it really is, you know, um, what, what really is central to this for me is the idea of, like, a non-duality. And I'm non-binary, so I think it's also a non-binary place. We're not very good at this because also we haven't really been taught to hold that space, right? It's not the experts are always right or the experts should not be trusted. It's both. <laughs> yeah. The experts have a lot of training, but they're also delimited by the tools and systems that they are working in. And also, we know that those experts are within institutions and, you know, and industries that are controlled 
buy money in ways that are not good, right? And so we know all those things. And so we say, okay, on the one hand, science is amazing. Science, capital S, science, like just on its own. But science in the United States is run by money, right? So like, yes, we trust, but no, we don't trust. We do both. We have informed skepticism that says, sometimes this isn't happening in my best interest. A lot of the time it isn't. And yet, if you think about the science, and you understand the science, you're like, wow, this is also really amazing. You know, like I have a friend who is the doctor at Mount Sinai and we talk a lot about like the new science that's happening. And you know, people are like, how can we trust the science with the vaccine? It happened so fast. And it's like, well, it happened fast because we were able now using technology to speed up a process of understanding what was happening with RNA in a way that we would not have been able to because we weren't delimited by what humans can do. It was being done by tech that can happen at super speeds. So our ability to understand what's happening isn't delimited by humans, right? And so when you understand things like that, you're like, oh, so I can trust this as much as I can trust anything. And you make, you know, and you make informed decisions that also allow for error, right? Like I'm a, I, you know, I'm part of the disability community. I have like chronic illnesses for over 20 years. So I'm someone who has been misdiagnosed, overdiagnosed, underdiagnosed for years and years and years. I'm incredibly skeptical of the medical community. I also just got the vaccine, right? So it's sort of like, I do think that we often are the people who know the most about our bodies, especially when we have to become someone who knows, right? Mm -hmm. And I often have had situations where I go in and I try to get medical care and I'm like, you don't even know what I'm talking about because I have to know the medical end, I have to know the psychological end, I have to know the somatic end, I have to know the contextual end. You know, I mean, I have a poem that I wrote a couple years ago called My Therapist Gives Me Financial Advice. And the reason that I wrote that was because this was supposed to be like a trauma-informed therapist, but she was realizing that a lot of my trauma was what I call structural trauma. It, it isn't like I didn't get hit by a car and now I have to learn that I'm not going to get hit by a car. No, it's institutional structural trauma from being a precarious person, like, you know, who's had all of these issues for 20 years. Those things aren't going away. So when a trauma therapist says she tries to, like, teach you that you're not going to get, you know, eaten by a bear, but you are continuously in structural trauma, that's problematic. And this is stuff that I study and write on and teach on. So, like, when I'm sitting in a room with a therapist and they're like, I found this grant. I think you should apply for it. And they have no fucking idea what they're talking <laughs> about. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if I could curse. Yeah, that's okay. But, um, you know, they have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm sitting there going, how am I paying you for this? I, I'm teaching them half the time. <laughs> they're like, oh, this is so interesting. Tell me more about it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to tell you about, like, the structural issues in, you know, being part of the academic precariat, which most people don't understand. Most people don't understand that you can, like, I'm, you know, I'm a professor at Pratt. I've been teaching since you know 2003 or something i've been teaching at pratt for five years i have no benefits i make like 35k a year but i'm a f i just got i just got you know uh i just got i became a full professor this year but i'm still an adjunct i got no raise i raised two ranks i have no raise they took away the entire everybody usually gets a little raise a year no one got it i got nothing for becoming a full professor and i still have no benefits but like in the world when i walk down the street or someone knows i'm a full professor they're they're assuming that i'm making money they're assuming that i'm part of a certain type of class but i'm not you know the in in new york city construction workers make an average of 100k a year with incredible benefits and they're unionized you know what i'm saying but if you put me on the street next to a construction worker you're going to assume that i have certain 
privileges, you know, and I, I have skin privilege, but like, I don't have that, right? And so you're part of this precariat, people don't know, and often that, that happens with experts. So the experts don't know, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so. yeah, exactly, exactly. And we're in like a strange place where it's like, as you were saying, just to pull out or highlight that, uh, you know, we have this, the, the mask uh, issue and we have the, um, the president being President's Day, kind of the way in which the fracturization of the Republican Party and the, the left kind of like uh, coming, into, coming into its own with, um, you know, also the left also is fracturizing in some ways between, uh, you know, the Republican, the Democrats, Democrats are also fracturing in ways between the, the centrist Democrats and the kind of more radical or the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party and the ways in which we're kind of following like four different four different lines here or even more the many different lines of like um, philosophical systems and how that's all come to a boil with this COVID crisis you know kind of the the polarization of the of this country about how to handle it and how to like and what what is the future going to hold because some people seem to believe that it's either um, a threshold of like great awakening where we can really revitalize our systems or it's a threshold where it's like we reveal it's broken and in some ways it's the same thing like revealing the brokenness of the system and how w the ways in which we can solve if we can take action to solve this uh, issue yeah i love when we use words like the brokenness of the system right because yeah. it, de it depends what read we have because for people who want the system to achieve certain ends the system is broken but it's also working exactly as it was designed in another way so for those people the system is working perfectly right so like for us for me for you who is that us right um like for many of us the system is broken but it also is actually doing what other people want it to do and so that's the reason why it isn't doing other things that other ones of us want it to do right and so you know i think it's a, we're really i i have never been a big like joiner or sort of namer labeler i generally find like putting labels on my felt myself has been extremely limiting um in terms of like what party are you part of like are you an anarchist are you oh, marcus yeah. oh my god no i mean i just like i find all these things to be really problematic and you know really you know i think a lot of people don't really understand anarchy right but like anarchism probably for me is like the closest that i can come to but because anarchism is actually the lack of a thing like people have a trouble understanding that like what it means to be anarch right the root of even the word anarch is is the absence of a thing it's it's the rejection of a thing right it's not um it's not uh like you have a party line to toe, right? It's more kind of like, you know, and so I, I've been thinking a lot recently about the ways in which um, we talk about sort of like autonomous systems, um, you know, in, in kind of like anarchist literature, um, you'll think about sort of like autonomy and sort of mutual commons, etc. And I think that like these ideas, it's so interesting, are really being put forth in a lot of ways by the populist left because libertarians have like actually attached to a lot of these things in similar ways, right? So it's so interesting because you've got these kind of centrist Democrats and other Democrats who sort of like haven't really spent a lot of time thinking outside the system. Um, and you know you've got this sort of like right-wing uh, faction that's really kind of uh, attached to an idea of like actually that the rhetoric around it is that big government is bad actually mm. right and and the funny thing is that the people who are doing it are big government 
but really they're just, they're financial, right? So they're part of the thing that in the rhetoric is actually being sort of like pushed up against, right? So you've got this sort of like, if you look at conspiracy theory on the right, you'll see a lot of sort of themes around uh, the deep state, right? So like deep state being sort of megalo corporations that are like um, international finance. But the funny thing is like the people who they also have on a pedestal are the people who are doing that. They're the central people to that kind of like, you know, meta state international global finance stuff, right? And yet, like, there's this pushback against it because those people have um, kind of solidified and are putting forth rhetoric against the state. And so you've got this really, really weird moment happening right now. And I've been really kind of seeing uh, a real need for the left, anyone who sees themselves as on the left, to reclaim a certain sort of skepticism because I think there's a lot of people in this country that are just following, you know, they're not, they're, they're just, they're, they're unhappy. They don't understand, you know what I mean? And they're following and replicating and they've been taught by their institutions to just sort of like regurgitate, right? So they get really involved. I mean, I just don't think that most people are, um, are particularly leaders, you know, they're followers. So it's sort of like you've got all these people who are unhappy and skeptical and they end up, you know, on this other side. Um, so anyway, I mean, that's that's yeah. really that's a complicated conversation. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also it seems like um, I keyed in on an article um, that I shared on Facebook that says that does yoga have a conspiracy theory problem? Talking a little bit about how spiritual communities tend to find everything is connected, tend to think thing everything has like um, you know meaningful, and that the, that these connections are kind of part of the reason why we have conspiratorial, conspiratorial thinking. That the idea that it's kind of fueling the idea that everything's connected and everything has elegant lines and you know and all this kind of thing, and the the way in which you know the yogic philosophy kind of operates in a way, you but know that's what they were postulating. I mean, there's been an enormous amount of pushback this year, even within kind of like um, new age, new spiritual sort of like influencers and stuff around like how super dangerous the connections between um, people in that community who have gone down the path of like QAnon. Yeah. And I've watched it because I'm part of some groups where people have gone that way. But there are other people really pushing back against it. Yeah. But, you know, I mean those communities often are people who have uh who are willing to question sort of the status quo right so you've got within those communities people who are like open to the idea that there are aliens mm. you know why not be open to the idea that there are aliens like what why not you know what i mean like i come from a place of being like we know mostly nothing you know we you can only know that you don't know like, you really, you really don't know, you know? Like, what we do know is that time is moving in all directions. We actually know this. Like, it's been proven in the lab, but our senses and our proprioception and our bodies aren't capable of being, of experiencing that, right? So, it's funny because we're in a state in human history right now where we actually have proven things that are outside our capacity to, to discern, right? And so, like, we even know that we don't realize, that we cannot experience time moving in multiple directions. But guess what? There are certain things that happen in the in the spiritual community, and I 
you know, have been involved in spirit medicine and stuff for like a really long time, but like you can do certain types of work that allow you to, one would say, one believes in these things that would allow you to get out of the time space problem. You know what I mean? And so people who've done that stuff are kind of like, oh, this timeline shit, this stuff that people talk about, this is all, a, this is all, you know, an illusion. But it's kind of like, yeah, but the same thing, the funny thing is, like, then you get into the academics or something, and someone like Baudrillard, right, French philosopher Baudrillard, saying the same thing. We all live in the hyper-real. We live in this, like, illusion that's, like, being pro projected out by media and language, etc. So it's the same thing in a certain way. Realizing that, like, we live in this kind of, like, created environment that has been produced but for us by language and story and reproduced for us by media and yes some of the stuff that happens in the new age community no matter what you know and i'm saying new age just as an umbrella term but part of that also is like the incredible ancestral work that people are doing working with you know like um people in sort of you know black and indigenous communities going back and doing ancestral work and working with you know traditional um traditional um you know like indigenous practices for instance right so like when you're going back and doing that work and you're kind of like well this really keys me into a way of being in the world that's different and that argues with what the you know what the ways of what the ways we talk about life is and it changes your relationship to your body it changes your relationship to the world and so you do start to have kind of a non-dual like yes we live in a world it's defined by these words it's defined by these things and so we use those things together because they're kind of what we would agreed upon to discuss things but they also don't exist countries don't exist right they do but they don't they're not real countries aren't real we don't actually have them there are no borders these things don't exist and yet we have created stories about them and that's kind of the world that we live in but you but you know like but a lot of people um would have a really hard time with what I just said. Yeah. Right? But I think that at the same time, if you listen to the rhetoric of the right, actually a lot of that is happening there, which is kind of interesting, right? Because I think for me, and this goes back to the speculative solidarities thing, which really comes from like a sort of like ecological systems thinking, like, hmm, uh, let's see. So like Anna Singh, who is a writer, um, came out with a book like, I don't know, a couple years ago. It's actually sitting right by me. It's called The Mushroom at the End of the World on the Possibility of Life in Capitalist Rooms. And Anasing talks about the idea of disturbance. And disturbance um, is something that she, you know, she explains is like in ecological systems, disturbance is necessary often. And it doesn't only happen because of humans. It happens just in ecological systems. And disturbance often is required in order for the sort of like rebuilding and renewal to happen, right? And so um, if we think about what's happening right now as kind of a sort of disturbance, um, you can actually step all the way back and be like, this is good, mm. right? You're kind of like, okay, all these people on the right, on the left, uh, even on the right, the fact that people are like, the systems in this country are broken. They're coming at it from a crazy angle in a lot of ways, and it's been really roped into horrible white supremacist like racist horrible 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 but on the other hand a lot of that skepticism is real true good necessary and it's also 
paralleled with what's happening in anarchist circles and in far left circles, right? So like, actually, there is in a way, a sort of broader skepticism that is actually good, because it says, oh, this isn't working. And everyone is right when they say that it isn't working. The ways in which then it gets manipulated, that's dangerous, right? But the, but the, in, but the impulse to be skeptical is good because it's like opening us up to like a disturbance, right? That allows us to break things down and put them back together. You know, I mean, I always say like, we had this crazy president who I like didn't call president the entire yeah. time that they were in office. I refuse to like put that word in my mouth. But like, this was a messy, messy thing. And you know what would have been really scarier to a certain extent? Pence. Or mm. someone who was really good at it. Yeah. You you think that we got the worst of it by getting someone who was a disaster? No, thank God for disaster because you could point at it and be like, this is dangerous. You know what's much scarier? People who are really good at performing. People who are really good at playing the game. You can't tell. I'm much more scared of like people who wear the mantle of being on the left but perform diversity, yeah. perform a, a allyship. And are really, really good at it. You know, like this thing that just happened with the Indianapolis Museum. I don't know if you saw this, where like the they put out a call for a curator, and oh, they're yeah, like, I saw that. "We want yeah. a curator, you know, that's like gonna, yeah. you know, do this thing for a traditionally core white audience." Oh my god! And so these, you know, these incredible black curators who are a part of this, you know, show that's coming up are like, "We we can't do this with you anymore." But the thing is, most people in that museum museum position are much better at that. They would have never made that error. Yeah. So those errors are great because they start to give cracks to the system, right? Without the errors, how do we change? Without the errors, everyone just like, you know, we get into the kind of nice that George Bush is nice. Yeah. You meet George Bush at a party, you think he's a funny guy. I'm sure he's hilarious. Yeah. Like, he's the kind of guy that you, you know, you went to college and you went to a frat party and you hung out with like football dudes who you would never hang out with. But you're like, that's a really fun guy to hang out with. And yeah. so you're like, oh, this is a nice guy. They're good at that. People who are good at that, you know, like, those are more dangerous. Yeah, I just want to drop here just say, like, now on one level, it seems like the narrative is that we're at a disruption. The term terminology of disruption is coming up. So we're at a disruption of the way in which the system progresses. Another level, we're at a culmination of all the, of the processes of how the system operates. We're at a culmination. But also, we're at a convergence of, like, different processes operating together in this disturbance, how they're converging and how they're creating a, a chaotic stew, if you will, like an oasis in which we're trying to finally see through this disturbance and seeing how it's actually a culmination, you know? What do you think about that? And how can we exploit this convergence to really leverage a chance for us to make progress? I hate the word exploit, but it, it but it yeah. is it does work. <laughs> yeah. How could we take advantage of this moment? Um, I mean, okay, so I I'm going to use a little. I've been using this metaphor a lot, and so I'm going to use it now because I think it's really helpful. So, um, I said before about the caterpillar, right? So I learned this thing about what happens in metamorphosis recently, and I found it really useful. And so I don't know if you know this, but like when the caterpillar actually like puts itself in its uh, little chrysalis. 
um, in order to transform, it actually has to totally destroy itself, right? So, like, it actually secretes digestive enzymes and totally breaks itself down. Oh, wow. It becomes basically a soup. If you were to poke the chrysalis at that point, it would just drain out and there would be no, there would be nothing. But so here is the amazing thing, and I love this metaphor for this time. So in the caterpillar, even before it got into the chrysalis, it was holding something in it that's called, I did not make this term up, it's the real term, imaginal discs. Oh boy, the imaginal discs are in the caterpillar all along. So there's an imaginal disc that includes wings, all of these other things that are going to be in the later system. Um, but in order to access those imaginal discs, it has to totally destroy itself. And so I love this metaphor, right? So you're carrying basically this like information, data. You can think of them literally, the word disc, it's like a hard disc. So the caterpillar is like carrying this data. But in order to access this data, it has to destroy itself, totally. And so I feel like we're in a very similar place right now, right? We're kind of like, ah, I see, we, we almost are able to sort of like do an x-ray and we're like able to see the imaginal discs. We're like, oh, we have these seeds. Um, they've often been happening in parallel. You know, like I think for many of us, like whenever we are brought to realize that like we live in the United States, like for us, like it's sort of like what? And people of color, like and other people from marginalized groups are aware all the time that they live in the United States because they're reminded again and again by the ways that the systems like affect them and have bias against them, right? So when you have to fight to survive, you're really aware that you're in that system. And I think most people kind of live in this parallel world where they're kind of just, you know, they're mostly they're consumers, they're in families, they're like living this sort of like life that is largely uh, you know, absent of the need to even be aware of what's happening structurally and agentively, right? Like, you asked a question about, like, the personal is political and what we were talking about before, and it's sort of like, you don't even realize, you're not trained to realize that every single action that you're making is a political action, because you haven't been taught to think that way. Most people haven't been taught to think that way. And so when you introduce to people that that's actually what's happening for them, that's very hard to kind of swallow, because you're like, that's not what I'm doing, I'm just... I'm just living my life. I'm just living my life. Like, what yeah. do you mean? Like, I'm just living my life. Well, your life, by the way, the thing you bought this morning was, you know, picked by prison labor, you know, was like the money that you spent this morning was given to someone who is paying for, you know, gay conversion camps. You know, like you, you can't spend money without making political decisions. You can't be in the world without making political decisions. Yeah. So it's sort of like, um, you know, so I think like at this moment, I really do think that we have... We do have a convergence, and so we do have, like, an unbelievable... We're in the soup. I really think we're, like, we're in the goo. I've yeah. been saying that to people. I'm like, you are in the goo state. You're probably there personally, because this last year, people have been, you know, had an opportunity that they never, never, never have had before, most people, to live in the world in a totally different way. You had to. You had to live in the world in a different way. Your relationships are under fire and under the microscope. The way that you live in your body is under the microscope. Your neighborhood is under the microscope because most people aren't going anywhere. You, you know, you have all these things. How you deal with your family, how you deal with your health, like the fact that you never really needed to go into the office, you know, like yeah. all of these things are now, wait a second, what's my role? As people's jobs go away, as industries change, People are like, wait a second, who am I? Like, people are having major existential crisis right now. And it was brought about by this moment. So we do have this convergence. You know, I mean, I think everyone's like, oh, you know, this horrible, horrible year. I keep being like, 
2020 was so important. Do you realize that the reason why the protests could be so big is because of unemployment? Yeah. Is because we're all at home? Do you know how many people would have loved to go to protest but were working two jobs every single day who now can go? Like, it, it, it was convergent. It was convergent of pressure and opportunity. And we are taking that opportunity, you know? I mean, like, there are 87 community fridges in New York. 87! They all, they all were established this year, <laughs> you know? The mutual aid that's happening right now is unbelievable. And it's happening across the country. And we're utilizing, you know, sort of like the Arab Spring, like, we're utilizing tech right and infrastructures that we did not have before to speed up those systems right so we're able to speed up systems of mutual aid by learning from each other by being like you know people in portland are teaching people in new york like how do you know how to act at protest what do you need to bring safely how do you need you know what i mean we're, we're teaching each other we're able to um bring our intelligence right there's the imaginal discs like to to bear on, on the ways that we're that we're addressing and dealing with these systems. So mm. I think it's a very exciting moment. Yeah. It's very frightening and it's very disorienting, you know? Um, but you kinda, I've been saying like, you kinda have to go goo. You have to allow yourself to be like, I am breaking down and so are the systems that I'm in. And that's a very uncomfortable thing. And a lot of people are gonna grip Again, right, what we were talking about before, if you haven't had the opportunity to do this kind of internal work and you're not used to doing this internal work and you're not ready to be like, I don't actually know who I am, I'm not willing to like re, you know, think my identity, like if you're not, if you don't have the capacity to do that stuff, if you don't have the emotional sort of strength or you don't have the network or whatever you need to do that, you're holding on, you're resisting. People want things to go back to normal. No, normal was terrible. There was no normal. It was awful. But people who want that, don't really want that as much as they don't want to face the terror of this is terrifying people are like yeah. i don't know who i am i don't know what's happening all of the things that i thought that i knew are probably wrong mm. right so how many people are good at that yeah people are not good at that they don't have you know what i mean and so there is a certain amount of compassion that i'm trying to bring to just the emotional individual experience of this moment which is a, mo a, a moment of great almost like religious right like almost like real human uh trial we're in a trial like everyone's in their own kind of personal trial right now and i think it's yeah. a really important moment a couple of key points i want to bring up is um <clears throat> first of all i just want to remind listeners this is the truth to power show and ready for brooklyn uh we are every monday at 8 a.m we're here talking with eli moss uh and we're talking discussing a little bit of systems and uh and the one question i have is about anarchy and um whether that's a means to an end or an end of itself and what and, and ways in which you can understand is like we have a system set up in we have like the american democ democratic system like idealism the ideals of our democracy the ideals of what we hope to aspire to and is, and the ways in which it's failed to achieve those ends in some level or it's kind of falling short of our ideals and way which anarchy can act as like that enzyme to like recatalyst and re realign us or recalibrate us to our ideals and re push us back towards those ideals, whether or not it disrupts the whole system entirely and we should reevaluate all of our ideals. I love the idea about anarchy as enzyme. We'll yeah. take, we'll credit you. Thank you. Thank um, you. 
But so, okay, so here's a thing that I've been working with a lot recently. Um, and so if you think about an anarchist system simply as a system that refuses or challenges hierarchy as the norm or as the natural, right? Like we've been taught that anarchy is something that comes in and fights against what was established. But actually, like in our natural systems, an anarchist state, which would be a state in which there are mutually autonomous inter, you know, interpolating like uh, systems that have different intelligences learn from each other and work together in mutual aid. Like that is actually the natural way that both your fit, your body and the natural world operates. It does not have a hierarchy. It is a mutually autonomous, interactive, inter, um, you know, uh, horizontal structure. That is actually what our entire universe works like. <laughs> you know, like on the micro level to the macro level, like we have all of these autonomous systems and networks that inform and work in tandem with each other, right? Like even the ways we've been taught to think about the body, we've been taught to think about the body as the brain or the heart, like being like hierarchical, but actually the more that we learn about it, the more that we understand that actually you have neural tissue all over your body, um, you know, and actually like it doesn't, the brain uh you know like sure like it has certain capacities to control other parts of the body but like it isn't actually dominant in the way that we talk about it we've talked about it that way for a really long time actually in order to reproduce ideas about hierarchy in the rest of our lives and and to have that be something primal right like what we were talking about before about sort of like who gets to know what the body is feeling right mm -hmm. so like i've i've written a lot over the years about sort of like the ways in which schooling the ways in which we're schooled teach us to ignore and um repress like what's happening in the body and like really this is kind of like an enlightenment thing like we've kind of like i think therefore i am the sort of cartesian like i'm a human therefore like what it means to be human is to sort of like i repress my sexual energies those are animal energies like an animal is somehow supposed to be like bad right and so yeah. like if you have to go to the bathroom in class or like you're uncomfortable and you need your leg is asleep and you want to stand up like you should stand up you actually need to move around to get the learning that you're doing to actually stay in your body you know that because like that's how the human body actually works but we've been taught that you need to like sit still be quiet blah 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 and you're actually learning to do things that are actually terrible for your system and don't even actually like support the things that we're saying we want to happen right so we've learned we've been taught these sort of hierarchical things as if they are the natural way and we've been taught that like anarchism is this sort of like desire to break down the natural way that things have been well that actually wasn't it you know and like if you look at traditional indigenous knowledge and and other ways of being in the world that were much more in like sustainable allyship with non-human creatures right like not only you know and and i and when i say this i mean you know like both like water and vegetation and fungi and animal and you know and and the earth like 
that was happening in a mutual uh in a mutual understanding mutual interactivity like kind of way it wasn't saying i am the only i am the protagonist and the other is the other no like the animal is also protagonist yeah. right so when you when you allow this kind of like and you say like this is imaginal discs again you've got all these different systems have their own intelligence and even back to vaccine machines have their own intelligence we may have built them but we don't run them they have their own brains they work a different way so when we are able to sort of like work also in allyship with machine we really allow that to come and do work for us right so like we have all of these allies and the only way forward really is to bring us back to a place where we are intersubjective the human is not the only subjective thing and it was never hierarchical and so for me like thinking about anarchism as like the anti-hierarchical return to the natural system ways of being intersubjective with each other right it's also like hey you actually know the most about your locality i'm not going to come in and tell you what to do because your intelligence about your life is what I need to learn from. I don't need to come in and tell you what to do. I can come in and offer skills that I may have had that might be useful to you, but look what we did, the green revolution, the agrarian revolution, we ruined, ruined, you know, systems of farming all over the world that had been functioning for thousands of years. We came in and destroyed them and created, you know, like dependencies in places that had developed systems of farming specific to those ecosystems for the entirety of human history. Mm. And the and you know in the West went in and be like, we have science. We have science. Yeah. That isn't actually science. That's just like a very a very narrow view of sort of progress as being like machine versus not machine. And now we're going back in and being like, oh guess what? Like these sustainable systems of farming are actually incredibly intelligent and maybe we can support them with tech. But we shouldn't destroy them because actually doing that is what totally stripped our ecosystems and totally screwed up the planet. So we actually have to go back to sort of more of an intersubjectivity. And when we work with those allies to tell us what is how we need to function, that's the only way we're going to actually be around, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, we can. Yeah. I was going to get into community and education. These two pillars, community and education. So in other words, like when we talk about education and uh, understanding the the ways in which these invisible systems, invisible kind of puppeteers or whatever it is, like these ways in which these kind of things are, are manipulating our experiences. And then we kind of connect with our community more thoroughly. I feel like the one thing is this disconnect between immediate community and how we educate them about, you know, about empowering them to be able to take um, control of their own resources, to take control of their own uh, education take control of their own understanding of how they fit into the larger picture. We seem to be jumping as a, as a nation towards um, larger systems and, and bypassing smaller systems. You know, in other words, like just looking at voting patterns, like how many people vote for president, but they're not caring to vote for local representatives, you know? Well, sure. I mean, I think but part of that has to do with like the ways in which we engage in kind of like the media cycles yeah. right like media cycles are really performative and so like we get sucked up in sort of these stories about what's going on in our countries but like we in our countries our cities etc but like 
most people don't have any idea about what's going on locally and exactly, why exactly, would yeah. why would they know yeah. right but why would they know when you say you know and something that I, I think i talk about a lot which is very specific to the united states is people in the united states pretty far up the sort of class food chain are in a cycle of sort of what what i call bio precarity right which has to do with sort of like knowing that your body's safety is wrapped up in whether or not you have enough to support yourself which means like in the u.s because you always are terrified of whether or not you're going to be able to have health care and health care and medical care is so expensive and so such a privilege like we are always frightened for our lives in ways that people in other countries that have socialized medicine are not right so being frightened for your life in a way that like has to do with like you're making decisions about what kind of jobs you have based on whether or not you're going to be able to care for yourself or your elders or your children like with medical ways brings us into a state of trauma we relate to things in terms of trauma because we're actually thinking about our own survival so bio precarity systemic bio precarity creates these situations and so you've got all of these people who are like actually frightened about their capacity to care for themselves and that frightened like that amount of pressure um and it and you know it's funny people even who have quite a bit of money are still functioning in the united states with this like pressure they feel it, it, it yeah. i mean it's crazy like it's not when you go to another country that this is not the case in i literally can feel it in the air and you're like what is this that i feel it's relaxation <laughs> we are like terrified no i'm telling you seriously people yeah. who are a little higher up it will take even for someone who's doing pretty well in the middle class right even like the kind of upper middle class a couple of you get fired you got a couple people in your family who get really really sick can't work anymore you're done you're bankrupt houseless like it, you can go from one to the other in 24 hours in the United States. Yeah. And everyone knows that. And so we're like frantic. We live in like a frenetic state of survival. And it's like that is realizing that you're doing that and realizing that like when people are getting involved and we were talking about kind of like how you know about the system or you don't. People don't feel like they can know about the system. They go into a state of total overwhelm. And when they're not working and not trying to care for their families, in those couple of hours a day that they have to be like, I need to relax, they're like, you know, I think about like Parks and Rec. You're like, uh, you know, like, what what is the thing that he says? Like, it's kind of like, oh, like, it's not like do you i can't remember what he says but it's a it's a whole thing about like do something nice for yourself right like it's like in those extra hours of the day that you're not in the cubicle that you're not trying to do this thing that you're not like on the fucking wheel of trying to fight the bio precarity you don't want to think about local politics you're so tired yeah. you're legitimately tired and so it, it it's 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 not a one or the other situation because we can't be frustrated with people we're like why aren't you taking the time to know this but to a certain extent it is a privilege to have the psychological stamina to have the time to engage with that stuff and also to have the capacity to engage with that stuff in any way that makes any sense because if you're coming at it after years of not being informed, after being system systematically conditioned to not really understand what's going on, and you're like, okay, I actually really want to start to do this, and then you feel really stupid. And let me tell you, adults don't like to feel stupid. Yeah. So adults are like, I don't, I wanted to get informed, and now I feel really dumb. It's going to take so much time. I don't have time. And so people are like, I don't want to think about politics. But what they actually mean is like, I don't think I can think about politics. 
Like, I don't know how to build this into my life, which is already so overwhelming, right? And so when you understand from a systems perspective and you're like, but guess what? That overwhelm is intentional. Keeping everyone in that state of overwhelm is exactly what is hoped for to continue moving the systems forward the way that they're moving forward, right? And so you have to be like, okay, if you understand that 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 way that you're feeling is a plan, (laughs) then it's just to be like, oh, hold on. So how do I get away from being in this state and not only realizing that I'm in the state, beginning to articulate it, that's the speculative solidarity. So that's what I've been trying to do for people. I want I want to at least get people to a state where they are able to see that that, sit, that that position that they're in has been created by agents that have intentions for themselves and for you and that you're able to see the system, you're able to articulate because that's when you start to actually be able to kind of do the work. And some of that work can even just happen internally once you have new language. Once you have new language for it and you're able to sort of like re like look again at what you see and this is like what i think about art and poetry etc i think about that as representation it is representation someone is giving it to you again in a new form that allows you to see it again it has been represented to you so you're like oh you just gave me this new language right i think i you know like bell hooks right who talks about like theory as a liberatory practice I think a lot of us have been taught to kind of be like, oh, you know, all this like theory and philosophy, like that stuff is, you know, like elitist, you know, hooks. And and this was true for me, like hooks found that work to be liberatory, you know, finding systems thinking has been liberatory for me. It's allowed me to understand the world. It's allowed me to understand my body in ways that I could not articulate. And so I couldn't do work with it because I couldn't articulate it. Right. So like I'm trying to, you know, in terms of education, like. There's a lot of narratives around what education does, but really it mostly reproduces people who go out into the world and then do the things the world asks us to do, right? It wants you to be a good worker. It wants you to be, you know, um, and so like maybe it's working exactly as it was designed and the fact that you don't know things is intentional, right? Yeah. Like it's not, it, There, there's a quote um, from, I don't remember when, but it, I think it's from Reagan. That's like, we're in danger of creating a intelligent populace basically like there were moments in the united states where they rethought public schools because they were like we're actually educating too many people we're making people too intelligent like it it's not you know there was like a move to redesign public schools like based on like the prussian um uh military school system like i mean this is deep stuff and the funny thing is like one of the people who i like the most who talked about this is now like a red state QAnon person yeah. You know, like there's pe- like so a lot of the people who've had those things who said really intelligent stuff about that have gone in that direction. Really interesting to watch. Um, I was to say, yeah. like, also it seems like what I'm getting out of this is the idea that neutrality as a state, as being like being neutral in regards to these all these issues, seems to be a state we are pushed into because we're like we can't we can't force ourselves to take sides in anyone because we're just not informed up. We're kind of in that point of paralysis. We're like, you know, what do we do? How do what, what side do we do? We go out there and fight against the machine, or do we just accept it, or or do we just internalize it, or how do we even cope with this in a psychological somatic level? Absolutely. Uh, I actually yeah. I pulled up because it, I kept thinking about this and I wanted to share it. So there's um, so I reread like Octavia Butler this last year because it seemed like the thing to do. And so like there is a quote for her from the Parable of the Talents. And it's, uh, it's from, you know, the books that are written by the sort of main character there. And so it says, 
Beware, all too often we say what we hear others say. We think what we're told that we think. We see what we're permitted to see worse. We see what we're told that we see. Repetition and pride are the keys to this. To, to hear and to see even an obvious lie again and again and again, maybe to say it almost by reflex, then to defend it because we've said it. And at last to embrace it because we've defended it and because we cannot admit that we've embraced and defended an obvious lie. That thus, without thought, without intent, we make mere echoes of ourselves and we say what we hear others say, right? So you've got all these people who are like, I don't really know what's going on. And you get attached to someone and you're like, that person makes sense. And you're like, that, that, and you know, like the rhetorics that are used by the right are really using, when I use the word rhetorics, I mean it. Like in Greek rhetorics, right? If you think about all the way back to that, like one, you know, it's like ethos and pathos. So pathos is like when you appeal to people's like passions, like their fears and their, their you know, their wants and things. And so you're using a lot of pathos on the right right now. You're really like yeah. digging into people's like emotions. Like it's coming from an emotional place, not a logical place. And I don't know if you've ever been in a fight with someone who's like coming from an emotional place or you're coming from a logical place, but it doesn't work. You can't give someone facts who's like spinning uh, about emotions. Like yeah. you can't. You got to go to that from a place of emotion or else you're never going to have a conversation you know so it's sort of like um i often you know like this quote from from butler i think is so important because it's sort of like so many people they're digging in they're like okay this person said this thing and then i repeated it and i repeated it again and again and again and even if you're at a place where you're like oh man i was really wrong this is super bad what do i do now yeah. how many people are going to be like I was wrong. No one does that. People don't even like say that they were wrong about something so stupid. Yeah. You know, but when you actually realize that you were wrong in a way that caused millions of deaths or that like is 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 systemically damaging to millions of people that you think you care about, yeah. people often when they see that, they go the other way. They're like they don't say I'm wrong. They say they dig in pride right yeah. pride is a part of this you're like oh like i can't i can't it's harder for me to say that i was wrong than to like align myself with something that appears to be outside of myself and then not admit even that in my in my darkest hour at home by myself i i don't think that it's right anymore you know a lot of people i think also because again of the bio precarity there's a lot of people who aren't in a situation like their entire community, their entire world is based on people who share these beliefs and repeat them back and forth to each other. And so like, you know, like I think a lot of people dealing with that precariousness, like don't feel capable of leaving those communities and going and starting again. Because like, you're not gonna get a job in a community that is a non-white supremacist community if you famously were a white supremacist so you kind of feel stuck how are you actually going to leave and i'm not this isn't about this isn't meant to be like sympathy right it's just more like systems analysis it's sort of like we don't have the social systems like set up in this country that make it particularly porous for moving across like ideological lines yeah. right and so like our ideological lines often actually end up being uh, embedded with systems of support because you're really reliant on your family system you're reliant on your community system like we don't actually have social systems of support so moving across systems is actually quite hard which i think is you know I've, i wrote a paper about this recently just in terms of like the queer community how like a lot of people don't move into more radical family formations because they're actually reliant on their families like for support for for you know 
financial support for health support etc and so like the capacity to actually really totally cut ties is not something that a lot of people have financially like you know and you know and you don't often choose that for yourself unless you have to right and so people make a lot of concessions I think because they there are not real alternatives structurally to say okay leave all of this behind there is a place for you to go and actually be able to have an apartment and get a job like I mean so just structurally right and again not sympathy not empathy not like this is okay no it's not but it's sort of just like when you when you look at it from a systems perspective you say okay like how much have we built in infrastructures that allow for movement across yeah Thank you, thank you. Sure. Yeah, it's understanding that you know, in order to change, in order to really have true transformation, we have to build those systems. We have to address this issue in order to allow transmigration of 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 um, kind of bringing in from the cold, if you will, you know, and then bringing that, bringing these people into the cold, so that then we have a way or or safe space for us to congress and 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 have this conversation. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Totally. I mean, yeah. how, you know, how do you like even with local politics, like if you want to get involved with local politics, what is going to allow you to actually take the time that you need to do that in an informed way that actually is good for good for your community? Because yeah. doing it in an uninformed way is not necessarily a favor to anyone. Right. Like how what is the structural systems that are needed to get you there? Right. So part of it is like getting getting attached to the language, getting attached to the resources like starting to have systems built out like mutual aid systems that not only like provide us with like you know food for the community but also sort of be like here is the language that i need to start to even understand what's happening for me right here is the sort of systems level analysis the way so i can see it i can see myself and i can see the system thank you thank you so as sure. my listeners we're about to end the truth to power show and ready for brooklyn uh ready for brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization uh we're sponsored by listeners like you who can donate at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. If you're listening to, this, if listening to this show on your computer, free yourself up by listening to our apps on readyforbrooklyn.org. Um, you can go to the app stores of your respective iPhone or Android. Uh, if you live in New York City and want free the fun or exercise, a fun way to learn about the neighborhood you're running in is City Running Tours. Go to uh, instagram.com slash tours to see their um, live uh tours every Saturday at 10 a.m. I believe um, and also cityrunningtours.com slash um, New York City to find out about uh, their running tours in New York City so thanks so much and uh, Logan if you want to say a few words before we end can I say hello is Logan still there <laughs> yeah I'm here, sorry. Um, I just wanted to thank you, Eli. It was absolutely wonderful uh, being part of this discussion this morning and to listen to your insights. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. And also give us a quick plug for where we can follow you. Ah, yeah, great. So, I mean, you can follow me personally online at um, at the trouble with Bartleby, um, which is on Instagram. You can follow at the underscore operating underscore system but you can find the operating system liminal lab all of my uh various handles all over i'm at only what i can on twitter 
Um, but definitely, you know, there's lots of free resources. Liminal Lab has um, sliding scale workshops and programs virtual. There's like 13, I think, 13 or 14 programs starting in the next month or so. All sliding scale, all open access, um, all sorts of really super interesting stuff going on, making jobs for people who are furloughed and who've lost gigs. And so, yeah, please, you know, come sign up, join us. Uh, lots of ways to be involved. Thanks so much, guys. All right, so we are every Monday at 8 a.m., and we rebroadcast right now on Thursdays at 9 a.m., but check the broadcast for more information.